0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, yesterday the Ontario government surprised everybody by saying they would have an opt-out option for the e-learning and they would only increase class sizes by one. Does this get us any closer to a deal? On that same topic, by the way, what caused the government to reverse their stance on these main bargaining points? Has the government given too much to the union demands? Richard Brennan, longtime journalist, joins us to talk about that and city staff are expected to begin talks with the two groups who are pitching ideas for the downtown sports and entertainment venues. We'll find out where we are in that process. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now.
1: Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML.
0: Yesterday, the Ford government announced that they were backing away, sort of, uh, from their original proposals about class sizes and e-learning, which I guess... Uh, was motivation for a number of headlines I've seen in different uh, stories about this now in the newspapers over the last little while uh, that's saying that uh, the government's got a new offer here. Well, not really, apparently, uh, the, because it was just an announcement made by the Education Minister. There was nothing at the bargaining table, as far as we can tell. So this thing is a, a long way from over yet. Uh, let's bring Harvey Bischoff into the conversation. Now Harvey, of course, is the president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, and uh, he joins us here on The Bill Kelly Show. Good morning, Harvey. How are you today? Good morning. Uh, okay, thanks. Good. Let's, uh, let us me give you your assessment on this. I'm having a discussion with some friends of mine last night about this, and they said, well, you know, it looks like the government's caved in. This is over. I, I don't think so. we got a way to go here, don't we?
2: Well, you know, we do have a way to go, because what we haven't gotten is a proposal on the bargaining table. We have the minister once again, you know, engaging in kind of disruptive political optics. We were actually in... Uh, exploratory discussions with his representatives yesterday when I heard through the media that he was going to have this, uh, this press conference, which of course interfered with the talks that we were having. Um, and uh, So what he needs to do is bring written proposals to the bargaining table and that'll give us the, uh, you know, the chance to move things forward.
0: Uh, which hasn't happened yet. Uh, does it bother you at all, Harvey, that it seems as if the Education Minister is doing his bargaining through the media, not at the bargaining table?
2: It, it absolutely does. Um, it's, it's not the way, I mean, you need to have some trust at the bargaining table. Um, and, and uh, you know, making these announcements, which don't have nearly the level uh, of specific detail required in order to know whether or not they are actually positive proposals, um, just doesn't really move things forward.
0: So where are you with this now? I mean, I, I, I don't know if this was just a PR move by the minister to, to try to curry favor. Or do indicate that they're being sincere about this, but, uh, you know, the, the the fact that he's talking about class sizes and e-learning, I guess, is a step in the right direction, although it'd be kind of nice if there was something on paper.
2: Yeah, so, uh, you know, hard to disagree that it's a step in the right direction. I mean, at one time, they were talking about uh, eliminating 10,000 uh, teachers from the system. Now, uh, they've reduced that to something just, you know, well over a 1,000, um, and uh, they... Uh, you know, they're still talking about the erosion of uh, the number of education workers in the system, uh, not rehiring those people who work face-to-face with high-need students this year. That's still uh, thats still highly problematic. But, you know, most importantly, what I think this was, was a minister trying to change the channel on the fact that for months and months he claimed that he was representing the interests of parents. And that turned out to be blatantly, flagrantly untrue when the uh, consultation Results got released against the government's wishes. They tried to block that release yet again. Um, And when what it showed is while he was saying that he was doing what parents wanted, he was doing the exact opposite.
0: Well, and we've seen that act before. Of course, they did that with the sex ed consultation that they did too, and uh, and of course they just brushed off the results of that and said, well, you know, they, they somebody had their finger on the scale. Uh, this this is the this is the voice of the people. I mean, that's that's what they heard, and they didn't like what the the, the message that they got from these people, so they just want to kind of shove it under a, a bottom drawer someplace.
2: They spent a million dollars on these consultations and then hid them, uh, and the only reason they came out was because uh, a chair of the the Board ordered their uh, their release to this labor board hearing. Um, you know, the government that claims transparency while hiding what parents have told them uh, is clearly. You know, behaving in a hypocritical fashion. These are pe- not people who you want to rely on to defend the quality of your child's education.
0: Harvey, there's a long list of stuff here, and I mean, not all of it, of course, is, is relevant to the secondary school teachers. I mean, the elementary school teachers are having some concerns as well, uh, and it's not just e-learning and class size. I know the government is, is of the opinion or trying to get the opinion across there that all you guys are concerned about is money and salary, uh, but there's more to this. I mean, the, obviously, the elementary school teachers are concerned about all-day kindergarten, uh, and and of course you've got some concerns about teacher placements and 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 whether or not those teachers are going to be available to students who need that help would it behoove these guys to sit down at the table and say no, let's have a discussion about how our education system should look
2: exactly right and i have to th- i mean i will say we're also very interested in uh, in the full day kindergarten program we represent early childhood educators in a number of school boards around the province and we've seen the success that that model brings to our students uh, and how it, it provides them with a foundation for learning throughout their school years but yes sit down at a bargaining table with us um and let's have a discussion i mean you know as i said 23 uh is not as bad an average class size as 28 was um but is that better for students or is it not as good for students why don't we have that kind of discussion about quality of education Uh, And that would be most helpful in this uh, circumstance.
0: Well, and again, to go back to your idea about the all-day kindergarten, I mean, it's been done here in the province for the last little while. It's been proved to be an effective tool, uh, yet they won't make a long-term commitment to it. On the other side of the ledger, of course, they're looking at things like mandatory e-learning and increasing class sizes. Uh, and there is no track record anywhere where these things are an effective way to, to create a better school system it just it's, it's there's a, a a bit of a, a, a disconnect here with what they they seem to be putting on the table what they what they envision and maybe that's the wrong word for these guys uh to, for our education system to be
2: yeah no i mean absolutely the opposite all the evidence says that the things that they are pursuing uh are are lead to lower quality of education We've got one of the best education systems in the world. Um, we do particularly well at shrinking the gaps between kids from different ends of the social economic spectrum, kids who are come, you know, who are new Canadians versus kids whose families have been here for generations. Uh, and we've shrunk those, those gaps. And, and that's something that, you know, we can take a lot of pride in. And the, the proposals that they're making would simply widen those gaps again. How is that good for the province? How is that good for those kids? Uh, how is it good for the economy that those kids are going to graduate into i mean clearly this is all a short-sighted fiscal exercise and it's it's most unfortunate
0: well it's all about the bottom line and, and i guess we could have seen this coming because that seemed to be the the ford mantra uh, during the campaign and certainly after he, he won the election a couple of years ago now he's just concerned about lowering that bottom line eliminating costs wherever he can he's doing it to education he's doing it to health care uh, and they do consultation. I guess that's the greatest thing about this, Harvey. Every time they do a consult on this and they get public feedback, uh, the public is telling them that's not what we want, yet they, they seem oblivious to that message.
2: Absolutely true. And the bottom line that they're pursuing is so short-sighted because if the graduation rate falls, um, that's fewer students who are prepared to move into post-secondary or to take on a skilled trades apprenticeship and, and uh, you know, be active contributors to Ontario's economy. Um, as graduation rates fall, um, hospitals, hospitalization uh, costs go up. Uh, criminal justice costs go up. Um, welfare payment costs go up. So it's it's you know a penny wise pound foolish approach.
0: Well, and, uh, you know, to the next level beyond you guys, too, once you get to post-secondary education, uh, again, they just don't seem to get it. You know, he, he made a big deal of the fact that he was going to lower tuition, which is a de facto reduction in, in money going into these post-secondary institutions. And there's going to be fewer people allowed into the institutions, accepted into programs. There's going to be, we're told now, fewer programs that may be available to some of these students for post-secondary education now, too. Uh, the th- 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 as you say, these one-offs uh, just seem to indicate that they just don't have an idea or picture of what the system should look like and how it should operate.
2: Absolutely. And this is a province that, that competes in the world on the basis of our high-quality graduates. People are, you know, prepared to, move, to work in uh, things like the tech sector in which Ontario is heavily invested. Uh, heaven knows Ontario needs skilled tradespeople uh, desperately, uh, and the things that they're pursuing go in the exact wrong direction.
0: There's so many wonderful things that have happened, and, and I know that you guys are aware of this in the, in, as teachers because you've seen the influx of, of, of new ideas and innovation here in, in Hamilton and KW and Toronto through this whole area right now. And you're right, we are becoming a well-known tech hub, not just in Ontario, but I mean right around the world. Uh, Harvey, if we don't educate and we don't train people to, t- to take these jobs that are going to come up here, uh, they're going to go someplace else. And, you know, we don't want to go back to that system, do we, where where we graduate a fewer people and the ones that really do graduate are going to have to go someplace else to use their expertise.
2: Absolutely. You know, and competing on the basis of being the cheapest uh, jurisdiction is, not, is just not a productive way to go. It doesn't support a, a robust middle class, which I believe we want uh... in this province uh... it it just uh, it leads to greater inequity and inequality in society uh... so you know i mean the publicly funded education system is one of the great equalizers one of the great democratizers uh... that we have in this province and we shouldn't allow it to be der- uh, eroded
0: well it's actually one of the assets that have, have been a magnet for the new innovation and, and the new investment that we've seen here in ontario in the last four or five years And the federal government, I think, recognized that when they were here a month ago, a couple of months ago now, uh, with a huge cash infusion. And they talked about our education system and our education institutions. And they're talking about elementary, secondary, and post-secondary as a feeder for these new innovations and these new industries. Uh, It sounds to me as if the government here, in their interest and their obsession with the bottom line right now, is choking that system now
2: that that's exactly right and, and describing it as an asset is is uh you know right on point that's what it is uh- and you shouldn't allow the quality of that asset to be uh, to be diminished.
0: Where do you go from here? Uh, yeah, there have been some discussions, as you said, Harvey. I don't know how substantive they've been. Obviously, uh, it's, it's still a very frustrating exercise here. Uh, it seems as if what you've been doing seems to be resonating, certainly with the public. You've still got public support uh, for your stand on this and, and for the other unions that are involved in this as well. Uh, but the status quo can't go on forever. There's got to be a breakthrough at some point.
2: Uh, yeah, and so as soon as the government signals to us that they're prepared to return to the table with a with a flexible uh, negotiating position, we will go back and we'll try to uh, conclude a deal finally, uh, and one that supports uh, our students' uh, edu- you know the quality of education for our students, their learning environments.
0: So you're waiting for them as far as you're concerned the ball's in their court right now
2: we're in the hands of the mediator and we'll return on her invitation yeah
0: now some of the other unions have said that uh, that if these two issues were addressed uh, that may be enough for them to call off some of the job actions that have gone on what's what's your p- union's position on that
2: i'm gonna have to wrap up with this bill i uh, just have got another interview on sure. the way, but i will say that if this government commits to uh, restoring last year's staffing levels um Education workers and teachers, we will call off our strike.
0: Harvey, I know you got a run. Busy day today. Thanks so much. We'll stay in touch. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Bill. Harvey Bischoff, of course, president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. Just just to add some clarity to this, because uh, the initial reaction a lot of people had was, well, okay, this is a breakthrough, and it looks as if, the uh, you know, now it's up to the unions. Well, it's not an offer. There's nothing concrete here. Something that the, uh, the minister says at a podium is not the same as putting a, uh, an offer down on the table and saying, are you guys okay with this? You know, you need details on this stuff, and they know that. They really know that. We've got to start moving forward on this thing. I mean, the, the, the way it is right now is just not sufficient. I mean, the, the students are going to get upset. The parents are certainly upset. Uh, the government seems to be upset about this. I, I just don't understand why we just can't, and I mean by that, I mean government, I mean our educators, uh, and sit down and talk about what kind of an education system we want. Because uh, I think the message that they seem to be getting, at least I hope they're getting, I don't know if it's resonating with them, is that we don't want the cheapest form of education, we want the best form of education. And there's a price for that. And if you don't, if you don't want best education, if you don't care about our children and our, their futures, well, that's that's your business. But I don't think that's what we expect of government. No matter what stripe, no matter what political party... As the corner office of Queen's Park. You want to know that they have our best interest and certainly our children's best interest at heart when they start coming up with proposals like this. And sometimes they hit and miss with that. I mean the previous government did a whole lot of things to screw up the system. short sightedness as well. And, and, and obviously we pay a price for this. So these guys come along and say we're going to do things differently. Well differently is not always better. We want them to do it better. We want to have a discussion with them. And they had input there have been consultations about the sex ed curriculum and about these proposals that they've talked about and certainly about the autism funding that they came up with and to their credit on some of those issues they have rolled back and said okay we've heard you we're going to modify this maybe not to our satisfaction but at least they've made some movement on this yet they don't seem to want to make any move on this on the education programs and you know, there's a lot at stake here a number of different unions obviously a number of parent groups and boards of education are frustrated right now. The ball is in their court, and we'll see how the government wants to respond to this and exactly what they're gonna say. It's a long way from a podium at a press conference to the bargaining room, but that's where they need to go, and that's the trip they have to make if they want to get some resolution to this. We'll certainly keep an eye on what's happening over the next little while.
1: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: With the uh, step backwards uh, from the Ontario Minister of Education yesterday suggesting that uh, they're going to do something about class sizes and uh, certainly about the e-learning situation. Uh, You just heard from Harvey Bischoff from the Secondary School Teachers Federation uh, suggesting that uh, this is really, he calls it a PR move by uh, the minister as opposed to substantive negotiations. Uh, They seem to be doing a a bit of a backtrack. They seem to be doing a bit of a spin here at Queen's Park when it comes to some of the programs uh, that they have initiated and then uh, walked back uh, because of the pushback that they're getting, not just from teachers' unions but from the public at large as well. Our next guest has uh, seen this act before, uh, covered Queen's Park for many, many years. Richard Brennan, of course, is a retired journalist now, but uh, covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill, and uh, has seen various governments of various political stripes trying to handle this, and uh, he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to give us his take on this. Uh, Badger, thanks so much for the time. Glad hey, you could Bill. join us today. How are you doing? Good. Uh, you've seen this act before, haven't you?
3: Oh, yeah. The, the, the bicycle routine, but peddling backwards... <laughs>
0: Uh, what, what's the, what's the motivation for this? I mean, you know, the, 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 I, we've seen, I, and we can go back as far as you want to go here, but you know education, it's always been a contentious issue because it's a costly item, uh, but it, clearly it's on the chopping block here as far as this government is concerned. Uh, do these guys shoot first and aim next?
3: Well, can I just uh, sit back for a second, Bill, and I'll tell you a little bit here about th- this. Is, it's, this has become systemic. Since they took power, they've backtracked on legal aid, now e-learning and class size, the subway upload, transition child care benefits, children's aid funding, public health, child care funding, French university, license plates, and the appointments they, they made that they had to backtrack on. And I'm not covering them all. That's, I mean, that's a pile of them.
0: What's that tell you? Well, there's a problem.
3: I mean, somebody is not thinking ahead. Well, we know what happened with the teachers. I mean, I mean, I, I, Fishoff's probably right. I don't, you know, let, let's, let's, you know, the, the you know, devil's in the details, but let's see what it really means. But as you and I have talked about before, they lost the PR war.
0: Well, they're trying to get it back, but I mean, what we're seeing here is a great deal of misinformation. I mean, you know, the reporting we saw yesterday at a Queen's Park, and, and I watched Global News, I watched uh, the the it's CTV News, all the stuff, because they're all down <laughs> at Queen's Park, of course. Uh, and they said that sources told them from the, uh, the Ministry of Education that all of the teachers' unions have seen the proposals, uh, and uh, they were evaluating them. I just talked to Harvey Bischoff a second ago. He said he heard about this at the press conference. Well, that's right. He, he didn't get any advance notice. He didn't get any advance copy of this. He just uh, somebody told him, "Hey, the minister's making an announcement." So he, he went and looked at what there was going on there. So I mean, where's 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 the truth here?
3: Well, I mean, I I don't believe any of the uh, any of the uh, or m- most anyway. I, I don't believe they had uh, were tipped off that this was going to happen. That this was uh, you know, I think they're probably as taken aback as everyone, but. What I that what I don't understand in this e-learning is that you can opt out, but it's it's called mandatory opt out or, or opt out of a mandatory program. So, which is a bit incongruous, uh, quite frankly. But anyway, so and if you're not, if you're not if you don't understand how the system works or or maybe don't even understand English that well, you may go like, what's happening here? Like, can my kid? take it or does he take it or does he have not have to take it? it it's not very clear
0: do you know what this I, I know people especially in government hate it when you start comparing their <laughs> government and their policies to a previous government but it reminds me and and you were there at the time the the, the 1995 I guess it was education minister was John Snowball and remember he got caught with that video that he was making that I, I do that story yeah uh, you broke this, and, and, and yeah. it just h- egg all over their face. The essence of the message, of course, when what said the best way to get people on the side is create a crisis and then present yourself as the solution to it, That's whether right. it's true or not. And, and he was quite candid about that, uh, and obviously the government was very embarrassed that you broke that story and, and that whole thing got out. Uh, it sounds like they're using that same playbook.
3: I don't know what playbook they're using, Bill. I really don't. It it's, it's just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, all, all the people that are affected, though, that list I just read out to you, I'm sure that they're glad that you backed off. But why create this angst and you know among the people that are affected by these proposed cuts and then say, uh, no, we've changed your mind, you're okay now? I, I mean, th- that, I just can't, under- is that, that governing? I, it's not the kind of governing I've ever known. It just doesn't make sense to me.
0: You don't expect everybody to, you know, have a group hug and sing kumbaya. There's going to be disagreements, especially when it comes to, to things like contract negotiations. Uh, and, and that happens with, with just about every government, no matter what. Uh, because, let's face it, I, you know, you can't just throw money at every problem. There's going to have to be some discussion about the impact it's going to have. We get that. But they seem to have created this us versus them attitude. And, and once, you, once you create that scenario, how, how difficult is it to back away from that? Because that, that's still in existence, no matter what they put on the table now. And They still, by the way, according to Harvey Bischoff, still haven't put anything on the table. It's just an announcement that Mr. Lutchie made yesterday. But it's still that us versus them. And what it's done is polarized an awful lot of people in this province.
3: Well, it has, and they've got two years to work hard to try and undo that. Now, how they're going to go about that is, uh, remains to be seen, but you're right. They've they've created this us versus them, and, and and that's that's not good. You want you want to be seen as a competent uh, in this province, at least Milder Road government, that will you know provide programs at a cost, but try to save money where they can, and, and try not you know to balance the books or try to aim towards that. That's what people want in this province. They just want you to mind the store. They don't want all this turmoil. And this is turmoil, unnecessary turmoil. Like they've created this for no particular reason. I know they wanted to cut back on, on spending. That's fine. Cut back on spending. Tell the tell the organ, you know, various organizations that you're going to cut back to a certain degree. But don't, don't come out and say, you know, with a scythe and say, we're going to slash everything. It doesn't matter what it is. Without really looking at the impact of those cuts, and I think that's where the that's sort of the bottom line is. is I don't think they sat back and looked at the impact and how it was going to affect the, the various organizations and, and people. Remember, we're talking about we're talking about people here, and that's what they should have done before they decided to you know to go, to go take the path that they did. They should really have looked, they've done a lot more homework, I think.
0: Since baseball training camp, and I'm a huge baseball fan, is, is underway. I'll use a baseball metaphor here too, the, the late, great Casey Stengel, who played for the Yankees, he was one of the first, he was the first manager for the Mets, and they were just awful. And after, you know, guys were booting the ball all over the field and striking out, uh, he was known, to, the famous quote was, doesn't anybody on this team know how to play this game? Uh, you could ask that question to Queens Park right now. I mean, there's some smart people in this administration.
3: Oh, uh, really? I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm not painting a, a wide brush here. Uh, I'm, I'm saying there are really very competent people in, in this government. But it doesn't, it's, 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 it's like you, you hired all the best architects in the world to build a McDonald's. A, and and I don't get it. I don't understand why things aren't meshing.
0: Well, with as you know from all the years you've covered uh, Queen's Park, uh, there's cause and effect for everything that you do. Uh, you know, there's uh, you expect change when there's a government change. You know that's going to happen because everybody has different philosophies. We understand that. But the, this idea that they seem to have been riding right now is that the education system in this province is broken. It was not true in, to begin with. Uh, but right off the bat, they, there they are creating a crisis situation, uh, and now they're they're implementing programs. And, and if you look at and you touched on some of them at the beginning of our conversation. Uh, their quote-unquote reforms, which they I try to carry over as improvements, have consequences. I mean, you know, the premier made a big deal about the fact that I'm lowering tuition rates for universities and and secondary post-secondary. Uh, you know, I guess he was that was going to befriend him to all the students, but as a result, that you know, we know, of course. Uh, because you guys and, and Rob Benzie and the people that cover Queen's Park on a regular basis uh, know that, look, at that tuition money is one of the major sources of funding for universities and colleges, and if you s- reduce that, they're going to have to reduce programs, which is going to make it more difficult for kids to get into those post-secondary educations. I mean, do they not think this stuff through?
3: Well, let's just take this one. This is one that struck me as so odd that I I still can't quite believe it. When when they took a, you know, didn't make it mandatory for kids to pay that fee yeah. at, that at universities that you know runs the newspaper and and provides programs and that and I thought why would you why would you do that like what sense does that make to create that kind of turmoil and you know something that kids have had forever at university the newspaper and different clubs and stuff like that, and just say, well, not anymore. Kids don't have to pay into that, so that's it. Like, why? Well, to what end?
0: I, I don't know. I, I, we asked that at the time. And by the way, when they, that's also a reduction in student services, which could be mental health services. It could be oh, absolutely. transit. I mean, there's a number of different things that, that make that experience, that post-secondary experience, a lot easier, because transitioning into that is pretty difficult, especially for students that are from out of town. Uh, and now he's essentially said you don't have to pay that. Well, that means the university or whatever it is is not going to be able to offer those programs anymore. Yep. That, What's the cost of that?
3: But again, why?
0: It's it's as if the government and this is not the first government that's done this. But I mean, as if they just look at the books and just say, okay, there's there's the cost of this program. Uh, we got to just slash that. And they don't seem to care about the consequences of doing these sorts of things.
3: And that goes back to you know they 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 just didn't do enough. You know they came in. Full bore, saying you know we're going cut slash we're going to you know bring the books back to balance, uh, and and didn't do the homework that's necessary to look at the programs that you can cut without having a huge impact. It just doesn't seem like they they did that, and they just did this across the board. Well, look at that budget where uh, Fidelity lost his job. That was a that was the the death. You know, by a thousand cuts budget, and it cost him his job. Instead of doing things in a in a reasonable fashion, it's just been kind of chaotic since since they got there. And and I don't understand why. Because, like I say, there's a lot of good people in that cabinet. Why it's why it's been so chaotic? it's... It, Really doesn't make much sense to me at all.
0: And, and there's a lot of good people in, in Queens Park. I mean, in administrative roles, you know, uh, the deputy ministers and things like that. Oh, you know, absolutely. Uh, and they're they're there no matter what. I mean, you know, they're not just all uh, you know, for uh, administration appointees. Some of them have been there for years and they have expertise. But I always wonder when things like this happen, who's the person in the room that says, "Have we thought this thing through before we make an announcement about this?" And the, uh, as much as we're talking about education, because that's the the flavor of the month right now, uh, the autism program was the same way, and and and. by the way, nobody is suggesting that the way it was before was the best way because autism, education, all of these things uh, needed to be revised, as every government has to do. But they came out with this autism program, if you remember, when Lisa McLeod was the minister at the time, and I hit her on the program the day they made the announcement. And I said, instead of just throwing a pot of money there, why aren't you doing this on a needs basis? Well, we just decided not to. And then I talked to the people that were on the consulting team, and they said, that's exactly what we asked for, and they just ignored us and they have backtracked on that now and and the question i'm asking the minister now is why did you make that announcement in the first place when clearly you hadn't done your homework and that seems to be the same scenario here
3: yep it just it's i mean like i say you know it, it this wasn't just a one-off you know two-off this has become systemic now and the the government has to you know uh... doug ford and his cabinet have to step up to the plate and show people that they can run this province and do it in a professional fashion, with, without all this noise.
0: How do you how do you get that back that back that public support back? Uh, and because it is reflecting now. We know that, of course. You know the public opinion polls that are doing. Have been doing on a pretty consistent basis uh, since the last election. Have the uh, the, the Ford government, uh, I guess, in public opinion polls, what is it down around twenty one percent, something like that?
3: Well, I just saw one recently. It was close. It was there was closer than that. But uh, you know, these mid-term polls, I don't give a, a lot of respect to. But it, uh, uh, but your point is taken. Is that you know, it the public has not washed their hands of this government. But they were certainly looking at it with a jaundice eye and saying, what is going on at Queen's Park?
0: Because the the message from these polls and the message they're getting from feedback and every time they ask for these consultations, as they did with the education changes, with autism, uh, with any number of other things, is you're not doing this the way we wanted. And and everybody, I, well, the majority of people in this province, anyway, or Richard gave these guys a chance. I mean, they were fed up with the win government for a whole lot of reasons, and they looked at the alternatives and said, okay, this guy's talking a pretty good game. Let's okay, you got a shot at it. Here you go. Here are the keys to the car and they're not happy with the direction that we're going here. Uh, and they have got to get that message at some point. Nobody's saying we want to go back to the way things were. We just want the guys that are in, in charge right now to do a better job.
3: Well, they got the keys to the car but it's run out of gas. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the you know the problem is that they they've just I guess mishandled is the probably what I would say. They've mishandled so many files and it's just given you know, fuel for their their you know their opposition, or for the you know opponents and the opposition uh, p- parties, give them fuel for them, and cause the public, you know, to you know uh, to be a bit chagrined by the way they're governing. And they've got two more years, in a little more than two years, to handle this, and to stick handle it. And they and they and they better get at it soon. I mean, you know, two years goes by and a blank. And if you know if they if they don't convince the public that they're good stewards, then they're done.
0: Well, they said they're going to have, uh, I guess, uh, another budget in just a couple of weeks, and that's obviously a great opportunity for them to to kind of charge or change the course and see what they're going to do here. But uh, but again, you know, they've got to get this message across. I mean, the last public opinion poll we saw uh, was early in the new year here. Uh, had them essentially tied with the liberals in popular support. And I looked at that and I said, what liberals? There's only like five of them in the in the whole legislature right now. And, and you know, they, they're going to probably elect Del Duca as their leader, but he doesn't even have a seat in the legislature. Yet the, people seem to think, oh, they, they're a viable alternative for uh, for what we're seeing here right now. Yeah. That's got to send a message to the government that says, look, at, we got to get our act together
3: here. Well, and I think the... Uh I think Doug Ford is, is got you know got his show a little more um, you know he's a jovial enough guy I guess to to, to deal with I've never I've never met, I think I've met the man but I've never you know dealt with him in terms of a reporter now but I hear he's a, you know a good enough guy and and I don't think that kind of personalities come out and look at when reporters were asking about this license plate follow up where he just bristled and accused the the reporters are living in the Toronto bubble and don't they understand what the real issues are and that. And instead of you know, they like, they let this license plate thing go on, this debate, this debacle of, rather, for two weeks before they finally, you know, took the bull by the horns and said, Yeah, we're gonna do something about this. I mean any public relations guy will tell you you you, you don't do that. You don't let somebody think something like that last more than 24 hours.
0: And all it would have taken is, yeah, yeah we screwed up on that one, all right, but well, don't worry, we're going to fix it. And yeah, then it's, you know, it becomes a one-day story pay, then. You
3: know, 3M's going to fix it or wh- whoever's going to pay for this, but it's going to get fixed. You're right. You, you're, you're right. We've talked to people. We've talked to police officers. We've talked to people in you know, the roads and say, those plates are something wrong on them. And I'll tell you, we are got to get them fixed. But no, they went for days defending it and said there's nothing wrong with the license plate. I'm only using that as an example of this bullheadedness that seems to grip this government at, at times. And they say, We're, you know, this is, this is what it's going to be. This, this is, this is, your, this is your, the dinner you're getting and you're not getting anything else. And then they back off and say, well, you know, m- maybe, the, maybe things uh, are a little different than we thought.
0: Well, we'll see if there's a change of attitude. Uh, this is just, as you say, another notch in the belt, and uh, there's a, a, a very troubling pattern that's uh, developing here. Uh, We've got to break it off. We're just about out of time. Uh, Badger, thanks as always for this. We'll stay in touch. Okay, Bill, take it easy. Richard Brennan, of course, a retired journalist who covered Queens Park for many, many years, and he's seen it all. <laughs>
1: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: There has been a great deal of discussion at City Council over the last couple of years about uh, the what they call the entertainment precinct downtown. That essentially are the three city-owned entertainment facilities, the arena, uh, the concert hall, and of course the convention center, about what was going to happen. And uh, it was just a few weeks ago that there were two main presentations that were made to City Council about uh, proposals for this. One was the Vrancor Group, of course, uh, and the other, of course, was a group that uh, involved Peter McCandy and a number of other folks, uh, Urban Precinct, uh, with different proposals but variations on the same theme of of taking over operation and and maybe even refurbishing, if not replacing, some of those facilities. Well, where are we on this? Uh, The moon I'm getting here from an awful lot of people in this community is they want this to happen yesterday. And uh, council, of course, as they are known to do, Uh, Seem to be dragging their heels and uh, notwithstanding the fact that we're told uh, that at that meeting there was a recommendation from the city staff to actually uh, sign a memorandum of understanding with one of those groups. It didn't happen because council wasn't ready to do that. So we want this thing to get done. So I want to find out and, try and get an update on what's happening. Mario Frankovich, of course, is a project advisor with the Vrancor Group and uh, actually gave us a, a little insight into the presentation a couple of days before they made it to City Council. And I wanted to bring him back in to give us an explanation as to where we are in this process. Uh, Mario, thanks for joining us, by the way. Great to have you on the show again.
1: My pleasure, Bill, and good morning to you. Great to be back.
0: It's great to have you back here. Uh, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm overly anxious about this, because we've had this discussion for years and years and years. Uh, it looks as if Council's got some information in front of them. Uh, you, I, I thought, as the reporting was on this, that that staff were actually recommending that Council sign a Memorandum of Understanding with uh, the Vancor Group uh, to move forward on this process. It didn't happen. What, what's what's this do to your proposal at this stage, Mario.
1: Uh, there's really no no effect. I, I think, uh, first off, I would like to say that we're very pleased and, and privileged, uh, uh, honoured, whatever adjective you'd like, to be invited into the 120-day uh, confidential negotiation period. So uh, we think that's a good thing. We think that uh, the negotiation process, uh, which is really built off of the term sheet that we submitted, uh, is, uh, a professional process. I think staff, uh, I can only say good things about, uh, city staff. Uh, we have some really good city staff. I, I really want to stress that. Uh, they're going through it in a professional process and, uh, we're just, we're happy to be part of the process and, uh, are looking forward to, to an outcome, uh, and we'll see what happens in, in the next, uh, let's say, I guess maybe we're down to 100 days now.
0: Well, let me ask you about that that decision and, and where you are as a result of this. I mean, uh, the the, uh, the proposal that you explained to us on on our program a couple of weeks ago and the one that you subsequently, of course, presented to City Council uh, was pretty detailed and pretty exhaustive. And and my understanding is even some of the nuts and bolts about the finances that, uh, that you w- could not express to us at that time, you did to City Council. And staff are aware of this as well. So I I guess my question that I can't seem to get an answer from anybody on City Council about, Mario, is what are they asking of you now that you didn't already give them?
1: Well, I think first I have to identify that this is a confidential process. Yeah. uh, And confidential in the fact that these things are normal to be confidential. Uh, Negotiations often go in many twists and turns as you try to figure out where the the mutual landing place is. And so to be expressing every twist and turn publicly only serves to create a lot of confusion. So it's best to keep these things uh, confidential while you're working your way through the twists and turns and then let everyone see exactly what what has transpired. So, you know, we've identified uh, very publicly that we'd like to invest Uh, Rancor would like to invest some $200 million into the core of its uh, own money uh, to end the subsidies, uh, as we understand that that's a very important priority for the city. Uh, We're very uh, interested in following that process. We're also talking about and we've not gone through this in a public realm because there are a lot of options, a lot of different directions to go, but you know, there's another two or three hundred million dollar carry forward uh, uh, potential for development around that area to to really uh, create that uh, the feel that you want to have around uh, the entertainment area. So, with so many variables, it's only fair that uh, we have a process and that we're not rushed in the process. But at the same time, that the process is finite and that we have goals to say we're going to get this figured out one way or the other. So with normal negotiations, and I've done a lot of term sheets over my my career, you set out a term sheet. That is, uh, in this case, Rancor's position. But in in any negotiation, it is the position of a proponent. That stays static as an opening position, waiting for a written response uh, or, or something that's Similar to a written response, so that we understand the other side's priorities, and from there you look to meet in the middle. And it really is a process. And as much as we want to get shovels into the ground by July, <laughs> in order to to get this thing moving forward, to to have a a, a completely refurbished, reinvented arena for uh, you know August September of 2021, uh, which is great for. Uh, for us, great for hopefully the Bulldogs if they choose to stay, uh, great for Hamilton in that uh, the capital expenditures and the subsidies are no longer an issue for the city. Uh, we, we, we are treating this as time is of the essence, but you can't rush through these things and not do them right. So
0: we respect that process. Uh, and I understand that, and that's why I'm glad you were able to join us today, because I, 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 you've done so many of these things over the years. I mean, you could probably do them with your eyes closed now. Uh,
1: well, I wouldn't go that uh, far.
0: Uh, but and, but you, thankfully unique. for everybody, you don't, okay? But yeah. but it's, it's a process, and I understand that totally. But as you and I have talked about in the past, Mario, Things change, uh, and can change pretty significantly in a pretty short period of time when it comes to economics. You know, there can be economic downturns, there can be all sorts of things that can have an impact. It just seems as if when you guys came along, and I mean Rancor, and even, frankly, the other group too, of course, uh, Urban Precinct, uh, the time seemed to be right, uh, economically and everything else. And I just see that the, the Bank of Canada just lowered interest rates, so that's good news too. But we keep hearing that there could be an economic downturn on the horizon, maybe even another recession. Uh, like we had in '08 and 09, those sorts of things, and no, not washing them on anybody, but I mean, those can have a significant impact on who and who is not going to invest in this community. And the longer we wait, uh, you're, you're kind of tempting fate sometimes, aren't you?
1: Very good point, uh, Bill. I, I mean, uh, anything can happen, and as things unfold, you have to assess them. Uh, there's no no question of that. Uh, speaking from Brandcore's perspective, uh, We have not seen anything to date that would cause us to uh, lose confidence in going forward with this project. Uh, Our term sheet and our position has not changed uh, one iota since we went before council and provided our term sheet to council in in camera. Uh, But uh, you're right. Uh, Six months from now, what's happening with uh, the coronavirus uh what's happening with the economy are we in a recession these will be uh bridges that we cross over time all we can deal with right now is the process that we are in uh, the uh you know first 20 days of so to speak and focus on that and keep our eye on the ball to treat it with time is of the essence let's get it resolved hopefully uh there is uh, uh, a mutual feeling that this works for both parties and we get on with it
0: which is why i'm i'm you know if, if i'm poking anybody with a stick right now at city council to say come on you guys got to make a decision here uh, you know, I, I don't know if they're waiting for this to be the perfect scenario because there's always going to be some commitment on the city's part as well. Uh, but I, I, I saw Andrew Dressel's column today, too, and some of the comments from some of the councils, including the mayor, that said, look, we may not like any of these things, which puts us right back to square one. So my frustration is not with Rancor, certainly. I mean, Darko's not going anywhere. He's made huge commitments in this community over the years, and I'm sure he will continue to, as have members of the other uh, group, too. So that's that's fine i'm not I don't nobody's going to pack up overnight and leave, but if the economics don't fit and you're always going to be revising and reassessing these numbers, uh then the city could be just you know the longer they drag their heels on this, the chances are that this may not be as as shiny and nice as it looks right now and I, I just hope they understand that uh,
1: you know your your point is very well taken and i and certainly uh I didn't take any perception that that you were criticizing us in this process um you know we we just have to work with the process there's not too much more that we can do you're absolutely right rancor is committed to the downtown core there's been a half a billion dollars spent uh, there's another regardless of this project there's a, about another half billion uh, planned uh, through through the planning process uh, and and this is only incremental on top of all of that and, and as i say the 200 million could very quickly turned into four or five hundred additional million uh, of development. So these things will be positive for not only the environment of the core, but also for the tax assessment of the core. So these are all wonderful things. Uh, But, you know, looking at it from counselors' perspectives, uh, they're going to be a little bit, I'm sure, from Missouri on this. I mean, show us the actual if there is a memorandum of uh, understanding, show us what that looks like that we're actually committing to. I mean, yet we did provide a very detailed term sheet. the end of the day, there were clearly some items on there that council uh, would like to see that perhaps were not in there. And that could be part of this give and take process. And I'm not identifying that it is, by the way. I'm just, hyper, you know, hypothetical kind of comment that, you know there are many issues at play and if i'm a a counselor i'd like to see where's the memorandum of understanding here which is the next step from a term sheet uh, and then the memorandum of understanding turns into an actual agreement there are steps here
0: I, we get that and and i guess the frustration a lot of us are feeling is we should be making those next steps and and you guys are, are you're you're ready i mean you're ready to go on this thing and I got the sense, uh, in talking to some of the people that were at that meeting, some of the reporting that when coming in front of that meeting, was that city staff seemed ready to move on to the next step as well. And it was council that seems to, to be hesitating about this. And, I, and again, as I said, when I have tried to have some conversations with some of the councilors about this, even off the record, uh, they don't seem to be able to identify this. It's, it's a big number. I get that. There's a lot of investment. There's a lot at stake here. Uh, and you guys have come up and, and made, a, I think, a very in, uh, attractive proposal, uh, as have the other group. And the, I, I get the council's got to make a decision, but i got to tell you something, Mario. Uh, over the last four or five years, nobody in this town is going to ever accuse council of rushing into anything. I mean, they take their time on just about everything, moving at glacial speed, it seems sometimes. And I think that's what the frustration is. In other words, you guys seem ready to go. Uh, you know, you, <laughs> you Darko's got the shovel in his hand and saying, when do you want me to start? And and I know the Mercandis feel the same way about their presentation. Uh, we've got to move forward on this qu- sooner than later, I guess. And I know that uh, I know that you understand that the process goes from term sheet to, to offer, but that MOU would have been a pretty good start, and at least show that the council is committed to doing something here.
1: I'm on board with you, you Bill. Time is uh, completely of the essence. We are ready to go. I can only speak for our, our uh, particular proposal, and I'm highly respectful of P.J. and and, uh, the group there, a wonderful group of people, Uh, uh, you know, it is time to get this done now and and hopefully when we get uh, through this 120-day period that uh, a decision gets made. I'd be very, very disappointed if a decision uh, isn't made uh, on this because I think there are some good proposals uh, that uh, would benefit the city. So, fingers crossed I uh, love to get it done
0: is there a negotiation are there discussions ongoing right now Mario
1: well I mean the council made it clear that the uh, meter started going on 120 days back on February the 13th yeah and I can uh, without saying too much because this is it's confidential sure uh, the city is acting in good faith there's so there there is absolute good faith on the side of the city in terms of the way they're approaching the timeline
0: well, uh, that's that's good to know, and it, it gives us some consolation, I guess, that, that at least city staff seem to be moving in the right direction here. Uh, because, as you've discussed, uh, whichever way council goes, and they they've got to make a decision on this, uh, to suggest this is going to be transformative, I think it'd be a massive understatement. I mean, this is this is going to be huge for this community.
1: Oh, I'm so excited, uh, Bill. I mean, uh, growing up, uh, uh, my family moved here from Timmins uh, when I was five years old, and uh, we came to Canada two years before that, and uh, I've watched what's happened in Hamilton since 1960, and this is really exciting. It's, this really gets me up early every morning thinking.
0: Well, uh, we'll see. Uh, as you say, the ball's in their court right now, and uh, the, t- the clock is ticking, and uh, we'll stay in touch as this develops. Hopefully it will develop, too, over the next little while. Uh, Mario, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time today.
1: Well, thank you very much, Bill. It's a real pleasure, too. Thank Mary, you. Fr-
0: Mary Frankovich, of course, Project Advisor for the Vancor Group, one of the two interested parties that want to help the transformation of the downtown area, uh, especially the entertainment facilities. And uh, there, as you've heard, uh, as we've described some of these proposals, uh, you know, there, there's, there's convention center stuff, there's hotels that are being planned here. I mean, this is, this is pretty big stuff. And I understand council wants to get it straight, but uh, I, I just got the sense that when they both made their presentations a few w- weeks ago now, City staff seem to be understanding. They seem to get it going. The, the hesitation seemed to be at, at the political end of things. Uh, stop me if you've heard that before.
1: The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays
0: from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML.